hey, this is Richie coming at you from the School of Marketing HQ. Before you dive into the show, I just want to tell you about a brand new short 12-week program we've launched called the Giants Marketing Masterclass. The program gives you access to insights and expert comments from over 25 CEOs and CMOs from major companies like Unilever, L'Oreal, M&S, Pret, and WPP, just to name a few. We focus on six key areas of marketing, customer, brand, commercial, creative, channel, and data and analytics. So if you were looking to upskill yourself or your team for just two and a half hours each week and get access to a network with our industry's giants through our live sessions, do check out the School of Marketing website for more deets. Alrighty, for now, enjoy the show. Hello everybody and welcome back to another episode of the Places Will Go show. Um, it's a first today. We have a dame our first ever dame on the show. We have Dame Scylla Snowball. Very welcome, Scylla. Uh, Lovely to have you on the show. Thank you, Mark. It's great to be here. We, we had a little bit just before about how we should uh, how we should address you, but we, we agreed on, on Scylla. So uh, there we go. But fabulous to have a dame on. Well, actually, uh, not only uh, um, a dame, but also CBE. So CBE in 2009. So you sort of collect the accolades as you go. And, and I would say genuinely you are famous beyond... This, this small world of marketing and advertising. Um, so let me just sort of give everyone a bit of, um, of some of Scylla's path. Um, currently, Scylla is governor of the Wellcome Trust, a non-exec of Derwent Water, Derwent London, sorry. Um, but previously has done all sorts of amazing things. Chair of the Women's Business Council, chair of the Advertising Association in 2012, 2015, trustee of Comic Relief, that must've been amazing. Um, and actually in management today in 2020, uh, wrote a great article, top 10 tips on the trials and tribulations of going plural. And if anybody out there is thinking about that pivot, I would thoroughly recommend that. But this, of course, was all built on a stellar career in the advertising industry, starting at Ogilvy and Mather, but then 26 years, 26 years, AMV BBDO, both the CEO and chair through some of the halcyon years <clears throat> up until 2018. Um, in- incredibly awarded loads of recognition, well-loved, a bit of a legend, shall we say. And also, many congratulations, a new grandmother, I understand, Scylla. So you're fabulously welcome on the show. Thank you. That um, It all seems so um, so busy when you just put it all together. Obviously, all of those things were done in bits, not all at once. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's good to hear it, but... Uh, yeah, being a granny is probably the best bit of all. <laughs> there you go. There's my life in a flash, uh, but uh, it sounds pretty impressive to me, to be fair. Richie. Scylla, it's such a pleasure to have you on and to finally get to meet you. I've heard you speak on a number of occasions, so it's great. Oh, it's great to see you, Richie. Great, great to be chatting. Um, I really want to pick up on, you know, just what you've just said there, you know, through all the accolades and through everything that, you know, you described, you talked about it as being busy. You kind of, you know, suggested that the best bit was being a grandmom. I love to just pick up on that. But and and maybe contrast the life that you had with all that busyness, but versus, like you say, a grandmom at the moment. Yeah, well, I think a lot of us are juggling um, being parents and um, friends and colleagues with with busy busy work jobs and. Um, my family's always been the most important thing. So I've got three kids and one little grandson who's seven months old now. Um, and I think for me, provided family has been at the centre of everything, um, the career bits have been 
an, an, an added bonus. I always wanted to work, but family and the grounding of family and the joy of family um, has been the main motivation. And I've been lucky enough to be supported to be able to work and be a mum and now a grandmum. Um, and I'm very passionate about making that dual responsibility work for, for men and for women. Yeah, I mean, you, you make it sound so effortless, but I mean, you, you've cut your career in a time when we were so far away from gender equality. And we actually yeah. we had, had Lindsay Clay on last week. And I, I, I imagine that was incredibly difficult to juggle at a time when you were sort of fighting lots of conscious and unconscious bias through all those moments, a, a female chair and a female CEO in, at a time when that just really wasn't in vogue. Yeah, I mean, lots, lots of issues in that question. Um, first of all, money. Um, the, the maths of childcare are horrendous. And if I have any regrets in my career, it's that I didn't take a long enough maternity leave with each of my three kids. It was probably four months, five months, and then four months again. But that was a maths issue. I had to get back to start earning and maternity provision wasn't as great as it is now. Um, and it could be much better now. So the challenge was really making the maths work. And, you know, don't stop me on childcare provision in the UK because, you know, the whole market needs to be addressed and prioritised. And I won't rest until we have tax relief on childcare for everybody. Um, but uh, I think a number of things in the time that, that I've been working have improved. Uh, one of the recommendations we made on the Women's Business Council was to have gender pay gap reporting so that we could track the progress of women in companies. And that was turned into legislation in 2015, as was the right to request flexible working, as was um, the right to take shared parental leave. So those things would have really helped me when I first started. Um, and are now in legislation, there's loads more we can do, but um, there are huge ob obstacles for women in the business still. And, you know, the, there is still a lot of sexism that needs to be stamped out and dealt with. You've only got to look at last week's AGM at Aviva, where, you know, even the CEO of Aviva has to face sexism. Um, overt sexism to see that we've still got a lot long way to go on these issues um, we're making steady progress but it's just not fast enough um, but I think what what I found in my career journey was that I had lots of support at work and lots of support at home and happy healthy children and that combination made it work just <laughs> But uh, if any of those things had wobbled, particularly the happy, happy, healthy children bit, I would have been in trouble. So, you know, the, there'll be a lot of anxiety around um, from from women who are currently juggling some of those dynamics that you describe and ultimately having a fear that they will not be able to fulfill the their career or potential career aspirations because they feel the need to 
you know, to, to, to almost uh, the impossible balance being juggled around these various things. And I guess, you know, you've been able to successfully navigate some of those dynamics and obviously continue as a, as a thought leader and, and an influencer in this area. So I'd just love to get your thoughts and perhaps some guidance from you. If, if someone's listening out there today who is juggling those dynamics, yeah. um, what, would you, what would you say to them to encourage them to kind of keep going and to try and you know, maintain that sort of balance? Yeah, I think the advice I would give is that the company you choose to work for is the most important decision of all because you can't juggle all these different responsibilities in a company that isn't family friendly. You just can't and you're wasting your time. So the maths of it is both a company priority and a government responsibility. Um, but I think what I've learned is that, you know, when, when I went on maternity leave 33 years ago, um, I had to negotiate my pay. I had to negotiate as if no one had ever been pregnant in the agency before, when, of course, they had. Now we've got much better policies, much fairer policies, much more evenly distributed childcare. I'm really proud of the fact that my son is now taking shared parental leave. He's, he's a complete zombie, by the way, <laughs> but he's taking shared parental leave and looking after the baby while my daughter-in-law's gone back to work. So I think finding companies that understand the juggle and will support you in the juggle as mine supported me is the advice I would give. And spelling out what you want and what you need. Um, I learned that quite late in my career that actually saying what you want in a polite way is better than politely staying quiet about what you want. Um, not in an entitled, spoiled brat way, but in a way that explains what you're going through, what you need. And I think the pandemic has helped release and demonstrate the benefits of flexible working. We've been talking about it. It was certainly one of our policies and recommendations in the Women's Business Council, but we've now got evidence that this can work for men and women. Um, but sympathy to anyone managing the juggle at the moment, it's, it's incredibly hard and it's incredibly expensive. And there's so much more we could do. Yeah, here, here. Um, now, Scylla, the leader, um, you're a leader in so many regards. I mean, even how you casually popped in there that, you know, campaigning for changes in legislation, for example, but on so many levels. So I'm really interested just to understand what you think made you, makes you a great leader. I think I had opportunity. I think I had drive opportunity and support and as I said earlier I landed in the right place with bosses who supported me gave me responsibility and a team that were energetic about driving business growth and creative success so I think it, it really comes down to opportunity I was able to flourish and be given 
responsibility. I mean, I, I went into advertising originally because I thought it would have lots of variety. I wanted to do something creative and comms led and I thought it would have variety. And actually it proved to be the case that no two days are the same. There's lots of opportunity domestically, internationally. The technology that exploded during my time in the business was opened up huge opportunities. So it's the old thing that talent is everywhere, but opportunity isn't. And I was given the opportunities um, to, to have a go. And then blessed with a team that put up with me, frankly. Ursula, <laughs> oh, genuinely, you know, it's... Um it's quite an incredible journey and and actually what i what i reflect from what you're saying is is that you're always you're, you're almost talking about the external opportunities that you had as opposed to the characteristics which is very humble i think in that sense but 26 27 years at at amvbbdo and certainly during your reign i mean by far even today being hailed as one of the best agencies in the world but certainly when you were there my god i mean it was it was the bees days and you know without saying it and you know goes without saying really um, but kind of going back to a bit of a dual sort of thought here, because I've, I sort of was agency side for a while as well. And I found it notoriously demanding and, and actually the clients, um, are extraordinarily demanding. And I guess I want to get a sense from you in this, in the context of work-life balance, juggling all those balls you had, juggling the client's demand, um, whilst trying to push an organization forward, um, mm-hmm. no easy, no easy feat. And I just wondered if you could talk to that. How were you able to manage that that whole sort of... Yeah, I mean, there's an awful lot to do. These are big jobs. You'll feel this. Mark will feel this. You know, we're here at quarter to eight on a Friday morning, for goodness sake. These are busy jobs. And why are we doing this at quarter to eight in the morning? Why, why did I stop my working day, you know, in the early hours each day? Uh, because there's a lot to do. It's as simple as that. There's... There's a lot of work that goes into running a successful business. So, uh, again, I had energy, support, a team, um, brilliant clients, sure, demanding clients, um, but brilliant, supportive clients who were aligned. It's it's, it's all been a, 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 it's a career that runs on, it's a business that runs on adrenaline and creativity and ideas and it moves very very fast and there isn't time to sit around and think oh this is this is busy I've got an awful lot to do today you just dive in and get on with it and and I think in a good organization you've got broad shoulders of management where it it, it doesn't just come up to a pyramid you know there's very broad shoulders of great people who are delivering happily um now we we didn't get everything right you make it sound like it was all a breeze and everything went well it it didn't we made mistakes um we got some things wrong we learn from those mistakes and pick up and dust down and and get back on the horse but it's um it's joyous. I don't think I ever felt I was working hard and resented 
the hard work that goes with it. But I don't think there are any shortcuts in business. I think you 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 have to be all in, not to the exclusion of everything else, but you, you have to be all in and give it everything you've got. Yeah, it's, uh, it's yeah, it's, um, you get what you give, uh, high input, high output, all of that. Now, during that time, though, you will have worked with some amazing clients on some amazing yeah. projects, yeah. Uh, which obviously makes it easier because you know that's you know that's the fun. Can you can you tell us about some of the best work, some of the best clients, maybe that you were involved with? Yeah, I mean, I was really, again, really lucky and great opportunity. I can I can also name every client that fired us, every client that put us up for pitch, every <laughs> could have avoided. So, um, I not that I hold grudges against any of that. I take full responsibility. But um, no, we we worked and AMV still works on some really prestigious brands like Guinness. Um, Guinness was an absolute joy. It was really hard. It looks easy, but it's really hard. Um, but brave clients, um, their mission is for the advertising to be as good as the product and always has been. And that kind of pursuit of excellence, pursuit of innovation was was fantastic. And one of the standout moments of happiness was when we won the can grand prix for one of the guinness films um but the moment i heard we'd won the grand prix i was standing in pizza express picking up pizzas for friday night supper for the kids and my client was also ironically in another part of town in another pizza place picking up pizza for his kids and we were laughing while all our teams were having great time in Cannes celebrating the win and we were home with the kids. Um, but Guinness was a huge privilege um, over the years working on The Economist, which is a client that Abbott Meads had for, must be coming up to about 40 years now, um, and reflecting the dynamics of the business um, context and business environment with very striking intelligent work was was a huge privilege and actually at the time the the work we did on the government was just amazing to work on uh, all the anti-smoking work all the road safety work that was again really hard to get right to get the insight from tons of data and then execute those things that that literally saved lives so there are lots of of high points but you know tribute to people from Mars and Sainsbury's and Asda and Walkers who uh, entrusted us with their brands over so long and gave us uh, so much to support to do great work that was good for us and good for them you know it was a massive creative and economic multiplier for them. So let me talk about the high points and you've clearly reached the highest point in the industry. And I would love to get your take on some of the key inputs, characteristics or things that um, you may have done uh, to kind of get there. And, and whether there is, you know, we have lots of agency people who will be listening in right now and perhaps some advice on, you know, if they're trying to forge a successful career um, in this industry, maybe what are some of the things that you would give, what would you say to them? 
Well, I think I think listening is terribly important. I think you very rarely have the answer yourself. And if you're not listening carefully, you you won't find the answer and link to that teamwork that getting diverse perspectives from the team, enabling teams to speak up about things um, and share their views and say what they want, I think is important. Hard work we've talked about. Um, I think being prepared to admit mistakes and um, move on quickly and learn from them. Um, one of the things I learned, I mean, I've always felt that business is about relationships. I've always believed that. But I learned that clients and colleagues don't always tell you the bad stuff. And you have to probe the bad stuff. And I think this is very important in a kind of speak up environment as well. But we learned, for instance, on client satisfaction, that if we asked how things were going with a the client, they would be more generous than if the third party asked how things were going. So that's all part of listening and learning. Um, so I think those are the things I would recommend um, in order to progress. Keep your feet on the ground, keep humble, listen carefully, make sure everyone contributes, probe the difficult questions because people, however empathetic you think you are, people may not tell you uh, difficult stuff. Um, and enjoy it. You know, the I remember once at the very busiest point of my career where I was, I think I was MD of AMV and I was president of WACO and juggling the two was about the, the limit at the time. Um, so that must have been 99, 2000. And one of my Wackle friends said to me, are you enjoying it? And it was such a good question. I was thinking, oh gosh, I haven't thought about enjoying it. I'm just doing it. And of course I was, but it was a really good prompt to remind you that, particularly as a leader, I think, just getting it done isn't enough. You know, leaders cast a very big shadow, good and bad. And your enjoyment is infectious. And, you know, I've been lucky enough to learn from good leaders and bad. And um, whatever the challenge, I think, and however busy you are, remembering to protect prioritize the quality of your everyday life is really important wow so, so many great tips and insight and you're right i mean it's to enjoy things sometimes you have to remind yourself of that otherwise it's just gone in a flash and yeah that that that's regrettable um so you talked a bit about mistakes and learning from them fast uh you know, everybody makes them, uh, you, me, Richie, everybody. So what, what are some of the mistakes that have been pivotal in terms of changing your perspective or your, your direction? The, the biggest learning mistakes, if you like. Yeah, um, too many to mention when it comes to mistakes, but I think being able to admit them is probably the biggest, the biggest uh, learning 
I've had. Um, I think the whole area about client and colleague relationships, you know, that, that you think you know, but you don't know. Um, I remember a client once coming to me with a, with a red card, like, we're putting you up for pitch. And I, that was our mistake. You know, we hadn't delivered, we hadn't seen it coming. You know, you, you, that's rule one as an agency. You, you have to know where you stand with your clients. Um, and this client was so lovely. I, I said, look, I take responsibility, but I would really appreciate it if you could switch it to a yellow card, not a red card, so that I've had warning. And she said, right, I'll go away and think about that. And God bless her, she came back and said, actually, you, we didn't give you a warning, so we'll change it into a yellow card and then we fixed it. Um, I've tried that with other people and it hasn't worked, by the way. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm eternally grateful to that person. But I think the mistakes have come by um, failing to admit them and pushing on, um, chasing money, uh, sometimes, you know, re-pitching something that you know you can't win and no one's being honest about whether you've got a fair chance. And putting everyone through that when you know deep down that the odds are slim, uh, those kinds of mistakes. Um, and then I think a sense of being someone, someone that people can tell you when you're making mistakes as well, being, being open to feedback and open to somebody saying, you're an idiot or you're being too much or the pace is just too great. I, I always remember a 360 appraisal I got from one of my account directors who said, working for you is when you're in manic overdrive is really quite tiring. <laughs> and uh, I tease her about this to, to this day, but again, it really helped me. I was pushing too hard, not pushing her too hard, but I was so visibly in manic overdrive that everyone else felt they had to be in manic overdrive. So I think learning from mistakes, taking feedback on the chin, um, probing people on things rather than waiting for them to come to you with things uh, would be the, the lessons I've learned from my mistakes and probably not dwelling on them too much. I mean, I, I, Omnicom were brilliant at giving leadership training and I vividly remember one of the training courses where the session opened with, with a declaration that leaders make mistakes. And to be honest, I had put all my mistakes to that point down to me being a crap leader. And, and just the, the revelation that actually mistakes are part of leadership and you have to learn from them, admit them, and move on was, was actually really reassuring. Um, but clearly, you can't make huge ones, and you've got to learn from them and put them right. But often, what you put right is so much, so much stronger, you know, than the learning you would have had if you hadn't made the mistake that 
but but I, I think one of the mistakes I made or my mistakes was dwelling on them too much and taking them too personally. Um, but there's, there's really no point. It's, I remember The Economist had a, an article about something that, that had gone wrong in the Japanese uh, car business. And they were in crisis management and they said, you know, when you make a mistake, it's like a cow falling in a ditch, you know, and you've got to do three things. One, get the cow out of the ditch. Two, work out why the cow fell in the ditch. And three, make sure the cow never falls in the ditch again. And it was a really, excuse me, really good, clear piece of insight from The Economist on mistakes that cows fall in ditches but you have to get them out, understand why, and make sure they don't again. And, and I found that quite helpful. I, I, I often, and by the way, I loved um, your anecdote around repitching. And I think sometimes we all hold on to the, the straws as it were, when actually maybe it's easier just to, to let them go. And as you say, move on from some of those things. But I wonder if it is typically born and maybe and, and often mistakes are typically born out of pressures that we often have at that moment in time, which then kind of enable, you know, make us kind of do certain things and act in certain ways, which then perhaps, you know, later down the track, we kind of go, oh, maybe we shouldn't have done that sort of thing. And I guess just to that extent, um, you know, we as people working in organizations often don't see the pressures that are on our leadership and CEOs coming from all angles. And I just wonder if, if there is any insight around um, perhaps some of the pressures that you, you do face at the top that are perhaps not obvious for people working in those organizations at the time. Yeah, what a good question. <clears throat> well, the I'm not quite sure I by the sort of it's lonely at the top thing because aspects of it are because you can't share everything you know, obviously. But um, there are good mentors, sponsors, colleagues around to help you share things. So you should never feel lonely at the top. And, And I know we all mentor a lot and we have lots of contacts and friends in the business so I think the pressures on leadership on and on leaders can often be shared by other leaders saying oh pull yourself together this will this will pass or you're doing the right thing or you've been an idiot and you need to do this that or the other Um, and I also think the problem is compounded by the fact that you can't let them show you know, I think as leaders, you've got to show a kind of plausible optimism um, and you you can't let the pressure show and show you're tired or say you're tired or you've got to be, it's the shadow point again, you've got to be energetic. Um, but I think the how are you question is pretty useful, whoever you are. Um, and I think remembering to ask that of leaders and wait for the answer is important um, and support leaders and tell leaders when they're doing something well, as well as when they're doing something badly. Sure. Yeah. Um, 
So such good advice. There's a there's a tremendous sense of calmness about you, <laughs> and I'm I'm struggling to see the manic overdrive. Um, just as an observation, I mean, it's there's almost a disconnect. You, you've has your transition into a plural career changed your your cadence and your perspective dramatically, or is this just a sort of been a continuum? Isn't that an interesting question? I think as an exec. You know, in my career journey, I've been executive to chief exec to chairman to running a company to running a group. And you're in having all the answers, finding all the solutions mode. As a non-exec, that changes completely. You don't have to have all the answers. You have to have all the questions. And you can bring in your expertise but your role is to challenge and support. And so you're in listening mode and you you are um, approaching things independently. You're not owning all the problems. You're looking at them and assessing problems and opportunities and asking good questions. And I've had to learn to not take the wheel <laughs> and not rush to solutions, but to probe teams on how to get to the best answers. And it is, it is a shift of focus. And, and actually, I got some early training in this because in my day job at AMV, um, my bosses were really good about saying, yes, you can go and you know, campaign for women in the business, Women's Business Council and you can run Wackle and you can um, sit on charity boards and learn about being a non-exec. So now that I'm a full-time non-exec, I know what I'm doing and I've had that, that run up. Um, but the manic overdrive bit was when you're in full-on overdrive doing lots of things, juggling lots of balls at once. You don't have the luxury of sitting back and thinking um, when you think, but you don't have the luxury of sitting back, analysing. It's, it's a much, it's a totally different skill uh, being a non-exec and, and being a good one because you, you have to be useful in that challenge and support, not irritating. An idiotic. I mean, you you will deal with your own boards and know the value of a good trustee or a good non-exec board member. You chair the front football mark, don't you, for the AA? So you will know the value of a useful non-exec and one that's just a pest and annoying. So I'm trying to be the former. Yeah. And I think there's there's not to put light on all the professional achievements and professional boards you're on, but I suspect there's no greater non-exec role than being a, a parent of kids who have flown the nest. And I wonder, we talk about the role of questions and good questions. So perhaps what are some of the good questions that you ask of your kids as you help them navigate their way through their journey? Oh, Richard, they don't listen to anything I say. <laughs> You assume that my kids listen to my advice and have respect 
for me. Of course they don't. They think I'm the biggest idiot that ever walked the earth. <laughs> oh, but you must still pr- ask some probing questions, if not give them the answers. Um, oh, gosh. I think it's a very different dynamic now. You know, they're all around the 30, uh, 33, 31 and 28. So they're, they're making their own decisions now. But questions around what they want and what's important and what's a priority. Um, We we all found it quite hard in the pandemic not being able to be together and um, thank goodness for the ability to get together on Zoom and connect like that. But no, I I don't think there are any sort of killer questions that I ask my children. Uh, it's much easier mentoring people because they listen. Kids, <laughs> well, other people's kids might listen, but not my own. There's there's the point, Richie. So, so Silla's <laughs> let you down lightly that you can be, because Richie's got very young kids. You can be a hero to everybody in the world, including many other people's kids, but sadly, not your own. It just doesn't work like that. Oh, With man. young kids, young kids, you're in, you're in the best bit now. They worship you, but then they realise you're an idiot. And... <laughs> Thank you guys for telling me what's to come. I was looking forward to this. <laughs> enjoy, oh, enjoy, enjoy the operation. So, Silla, such an illustrious career, and you've across so many different paradigms. What, what was, what's maybe the thing or a couple of things that you would say you're most proud of um family obviously um mm. i'm proud of all the people uh that uh flourished at amv and that have still flourishing are still flourishing at amv or have gone on and flourished in other places and other walks of life um proud of business relationships that have turned into friendships um proud of the fact that it's not all about money and contracts and transactions that you know business relationships endure and become friendships and proud that those continue in a in a kind of trusting mutually beneficial way um I think I'm most proud of the youngsters that that succeed, actually. I get so much satisfaction from mentoring. I also mentor at my university and mentor final year students going into the world of employment. And I'm super proud. We have a kind of alumni mentoring program that I started and sit on still. And watching the pressures that final year students are under to get their degree and get a job is so much harder than when we all did it. And so I'm super proud of their success um, and their tenacity in getting jobs. Um, So is that enough things to be proud of? Absolutely. And and certainly that is so close to my heart and, and what we are trying to achieve at, at the school of marketing and, and in particular, sort of carving out that alternative career route with regard to apprenticeships as giving yeah. young people 
uh, a new avenue to to get into and and thrive within an organization and perhaps apprenticeships typically over index and people who may not have had that opportunity to go into higher education and university so this is another way in which they can seek professional careers um, as opposed to the milk round as as it were yeah and the effort that goes in and the pressure and stress of you know getting qualifications and getting jobs you know we can offer apprenticeships but we we need to do so much more and you know certainly reaching out into the world of academia to understand how to motivate and how to support them in getting a job one of my mentees must have sent me about 17 versions of his cv before it was it was right and without that mentoring you know he he would have minimized his chances so this is a, it and and i think people don't necessarily recognize that not everybody has somebody who will look at the 17th iteration of their cv and i think we as an as an industry by the way we're not very good at this at all um in fact 58% of marketing and advertising functions do not have an apprentice which is yeah. which is a, a worrying stat not necessarily from an apprenticeship perspective but what it then means for diversity and inclusion it's almost like a metric or a trigger point as opposed to you know the way we should be thinking about this um so we do need to make massive change in in this and area. i i think we've also got to be more courteous in the way we deal with it you know what i'm hearing from my mentees in their final year is that some companies don't even reply you know don't even acknowledge i'm really sorry we haven't got anything yeah. but good luck you know not no reply not knowing applications got g- going in not knowing where their applications go so i think courtesy and technology should be able to fix that yes without doubt and and you know we could we could talk for hours on this i guess i suspect it's a bit of a passion point for both of us but we'll we'll move on for for now and i suspect coming up encroaching to the last question really um so you've clearly been able to navigate the shores of you know corporate life into senior management into now a pluralistic sort of uh perspective and 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 career I just wondered is there any other stone left to un- left to unturn <laughs> here what is the is what would you say are, are sort of some of your key goals that you've still got to maybe go for or uh, maybe not maybe maybe being a grandmom is where it's at yeah well more grandchildren definitely <laughs> as well. so the the nagging has started with with all three kids um no i i want to keep learning and uh you know to be able to move from the world of marketing and advertising into the world of science and com- commercial property is teaching me so much you know particularly pandemic issues you know the the importance of science to get us out of the pandemic the role of offices in a new hybrid working arrangement those are meaty issues that are keeping me busy and inspired and i'm learning tons so i suppose the goals are to keep keep learning keep listening and giving back in gratitude for all the um amazing opportunities i've had in the business but but 4 years out of the business is a very long time you know it's because of the pandemic it's it's been in two chunks um but 
you know, I don't belong to the marketing and advertising world anymore. I belong because of friendships, but but I'm not working in that sector anymore. I'm working in science and in property. And I will keep I will keep pushing at that and I will try and push for better legislation for women, um, better protection for women and um better financial support on childcare, which are still unfinished business. Yes, please. I'm in, I'm in the midst of that right now. We need that. Okay. Okay. Well, you can join my crusade. I will. Oh, my God. I'll tell you what. I'm with you. Both okay. You can. I, can, I, 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 know, I know it firsthand. Um, Silla, so, uh, love, love that, actually. The fact that you've achieved so much and uh, you've still got a growth mindset and want to keep learning. I'm, I'm going to disagree with you on one thing which is that I think you'll forever be part of the marketing and advertising industry oh, in terms you. of the, the shadow and legacy you had. And, and we didn't even get to talk about the Wellcome Trust and the amazing work they do. But I mean, that's a signal of how rich and wonderful it's been. Um, if I think about what I've taken out of it, um, an overriding sense of your humility and ability to be humble despite your amazing achievements. But underneath that, still a burning passion um, that has probably been critical. Uh, what, what can we say? You've got to be all in. Uh, you've got to chuckle when your crowning moment is uh, in the context of collecting pizza um, whilst everyone else is celebrating. But again, that's the, the signal of the humility. We talked quite a bit about mistakes, actually. Moving on quickly, um, admitting to them, being honest and uh, you know, not, not dwelling on too much. You also talked a bit about pressure as well. Uh, there's no need to feel alone, um, but you do need to keep a, a level of plausible optimism. I like that. Uh, very interesting to get your perspective on the flip to non-exec. It's not about the answers, it's about the question, it's about listening. It's about not owning and being independent and probing, having to be useful, not be a pest. Um, we're all idiots as parents, yet yeah, we can't escape that. Uh, but what a sense of generosity, both in this interview, but also in everything that you've achieved. Um, and you talked at the end about giving back. That was sort of uh, synonymous with the, the generosity that I think is inherent of you. And it was lovely to hear about the things you're proud of. And I think you've got so much to be proud of. So, Silla, Dame Silla, it's been fantastic to have you on the show. What a lovely oh, experience. Well, thank you for inviting me and lovely to chat to both of you, even at this very early hour of the day. Yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> so just the last thing for me, I think the one thing where we kicked off and at the beginning is such a powerful thought that you said, and I quote, um, family is the most important thing. The career, my career has been an added bonus. And by the way, right now, all too often, people think about this in completely the opposite way, which comes at great sacrifice, great mental health, broken homes and all sorts of things, which I think we need to fundamentally move the needle on to order have to, in order to have a happy life and in doing so have a happy career as well. But that's it in that order, as you've really articulated so well. So, you know, it's just an absolute pleasure and a privilege to, to have oh, been presented this morning. Really is. And uh, thank you for your time. Pleasure. Lovely to see you both.